Scripture this morning comes to us from Matthew chapter 21. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be. I hope you received one of the palm crosses when you came in. I thank Mr. Bob McCoon for making sure we had these today, and there should be plenty around. Take some with you, if you would, and share them with others, and invite them to the services that we're having here for the remainder of the week. What are you up to? That's been our theme here for Lent this year at Noonan First United Methodist Church. What are we up to? On Ash Wednesday, we talked about store up, about storing up treasures in heaven and not on earth where things are corrupted and destroyed. First Sunday in Lent was our confirmation Sunday, and we talked about build up. Andrew preached about the solid foundation, Jesus the Christ. And on the second Sunday in Lent, we talked about take up, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. And on the third Sunday in Lent, we talked about raise up. Jesus said, destroy this temple, speaking of himself, and in three days I will raise it up. And then on the fourth Sunday in Lent, we talked about tuned up. Our music Sunday was that day. We heard some amazing music that folk are still talking about. I think it's still out there if you want to look it up and, and hear it again. I would recommend it. On the fifth Sunday in Lent, last Sunday, we talked about lift up how we are called, since we are lifted up by the love of God to lift one another up and be careful about not putting other folk down. And then today is Palm Passion Sunday, and we're talking about sit up. And we'll say more about that in a moment. Let me begin really with a question. When was the last time you had a really, really bad week? Seven bad hair days in a row. The week just passed. Maybe. Or maybe you have to flip back always or a ways back in your memory to find the pages where those hard weeks are recorded. A week that death created a vacancy in your home and in your heart. A week that a child left home under less than ideal circumstances. A week that witnessed the loss of a job. A week that a building, along with some precious memories, went up in smoke or was blown away by the strong winds. A week that seemed top-heavy with Mondays, of all things. 
When was the last time you had a really hard week? Really hard weeks stick in our memories and they refuse to turn loose. We don't have to mark them in red ink on our calendar so we can go back and remember because how could we forget the things that happened that made those weeks so difficult? But forgetting a difficult series of days, like so many other things, that's easier to say than to do, isn't it? For many persons, I suppose, the most difficult week of their life is, of course, the last week of their lives. Obviously, none of us have known that from personal experience, but maybe we've observed the deaths of friends and family, have witnessed in their gradual decline and their increasing struggles, or maybe they left us quickly. Today is Palm Passion Sunday, the first day of a week that Christians have traditionally called Holy Week, a week that reminds us of the last week of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. What a hard week that must have been for Jesus. What an understatement that is. Now, the last week of Jesus was not the first hard week he ever had. In fact, I'm not sure he ever had an easy week or what we would call an easy week. Jesus probably wouldn't have remembered it, probably knew only what Mary and Joseph had told him perhaps when he was much younger, the week when they all became refugees in Egypt, just a toddler. They had to flee Herod the wicked, and in a fit of insane jealousy, he was out to destroy all the baby boys under two years old in the area of Bethlehem and around. Even though Jesus' recollection of that week may have been by his parents reminiscing, it was a foreshadowing of many hard weeks to come, weeks that were forever etched in his memory. How about the week when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the bleak wilderness? a week that was preceded by weeks of fasting, when he must have been terribly tired and, and hungry. The choices Jesus made during that week in the wilderness set his feet on the path to the cross. He could have chosen other things then. He could have given in. It would have been a different story, and I don't know how that might have ended. How about the week that Jesus came back to Nazareth where he had been raised and he preached, and he was teaching in the synagogue that day, and the congregation's response to a sermon by Jesus, they got up, carried him out of there. They were ready to throw him down a cliff where they were probably going to stone him when he managed to get away. What did he say? How could he have offended someone that much that they were willing to destroy his life, yet a foreshadowing of weeks to come? Holy Week, the last week, the culmination of so many hard, difficult weeks. Conflict and confrontation multiplied and magnified. Before the week was out, Jesus had managed to alienate and infuriate every religious and political power group in and around Jerusalem, all of them. So was it all his own fault? Did he bring it on himself? That's what we're fond of saying, isn't it? When someone's in trouble, when someone's struggling, we like to think, well, they brought it on themselves. And if we can convince ourselves of that, then it takes us off the hook. It alleviates us of any responsibility to do something to make a difference. Was this all Jesus' fault? 
We look at folks sometimes who are in unpleasant or difficult circumstances, and we say, well, you know, they brought it on themselves. Holy Week began on a Sunday, on a day that tradition has called Palm Sunday, when Jesus and his associates had come near Jerusalem, they paused at the Mount of Olives, not far outside the city gates. Jesus sent two disciples on ahead with explicit instructions about securing the the donkey and the colt. And Matthew tells us that all of this is to fulfill the prophecy. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. The disciples did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey, put some coats and cloaks and other blankets and things on the donkey's back and on the road in front of him. And Jesus sat up and looked around and was beginning to take it all in. Many cut tree branches, palm branches. I believe it's John's gospel that tells us they were palm branches and spread them all over the road. Crowds had formed, and they went ahead of Jesus, waving the branches and placing them on the road and shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. Save us. Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This unlikely, unsightly, was it a parade or Was it a protest march, or was it, as some have said, a funeral procession? Came in from Bethphage, across the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, and entered Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate. To get a better idea of what the atmosphere was like, consider that the old city of Jerusalem, approximately one square mile, the average population would have been back in that day at non-festival times about 40,000. During the feast of the Passover, maybe 200,000. Can you imagine the difference, the chaos, the the crowds, how festive and difficult that must have been? Palm parade began to possess the week of Passover, a week when the sacrificial lambs would be slain in the temple in commemoration of deliverance from bondage in Egypt. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, sitting up, sitting tall, taking it all in, The whole city was in turmoil, and they were asking, who is this? Who is this that's causing such a stir? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee, Palm Sunday, the first day of an agonizingly hard week for Jesus, the day Jesus told the world he was the Messiah. And how did he do that? (laughs) By riding into town on a donkey. Have mercy. Palm branches were symbols of Jewish nationalism. Many Jewish coins then, and some now, I believe, still have a palm branch on the coin. And they waved those, and they were sending a message to Rome and to others. There were two groups watching, really, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. There were the Romans, of course, and the Zealots. The entire area at that time was occupied by Rome, including the whole sacred city of Jerusalem. And Rome, being comprised of law and order kind of folks, their only mission was to keep the peace, keep the lid on this pressure cooker, don't let it blow. Keep calm at any cost. The size, the sound, the atmosphere of this protest march made the Romans nervous. 
Now in Luke's account of this Palm Sunday incident, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell your disciples to stop. Tell them to calm down. Quit showing out. They wanted things calmed down because they were afraid of what oppressor Rome would do. And Jesus told them if these folk were silent, the very rocks themselves would cry out. Probably the greatest natural resource in that part of the world. Rocks. Can you imagine how loud that might have been? The other group that had a really keen interest in Jesus that day were the zealots. Zealots were Jews caught up in the revolutionary movement to overthrow Rome, to free the land of Palestine from Roman occupation, whatever it took. Violence was not off the table. Whatever it took to to reclaim what they thought was their rightful land, of course. And violence would further their agenda. They were excited by the crowds. Stir them up just enough and, and they'll start something. And maybe we can win this thing. They were excited. The symbolism of the palm branches, like a flag of a country, nationalism just rising and strong, and all these folk, rabble-rousing revolutionaries, radicals, and Jesus was not on the same page with these people. And that made things difficult for them. And he further distance himself, I believe, from this crowd when he said, give unto God the things that are God and unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And here's a crowd of folks who thought nothing belonged to Caesar, that it was all God's. And they just didn't get it. It's only Sunday, Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week, and Jesus has already infuriated the Romans and the Zealots. Sometimes a hard week is apparent from the beginning of its days, the beginning of its hours. So who or what is next? The encounters with the money changers in the temple. Matthew's gospel has this happening immediately after the triumphal entry. And Dr. Charles Page said that in Jesus' day, Jerusalem survived on the religion business. And that the temple in Jerusalem was an expensive place to worship. The Sadducees, the priests, largely from the upper class, ran the temple. And they're pricing corruption had shut the poor out of worship. The money changers were set up, we think, in the southwest corner of the temple. It's Sunday afternoon, maybe Monday, Tuesday at the latest. Jesus has alienated and angered three of the largest power groups there. Now the Sadducees were a part of that. And by overturning the tables of those who bought and sold in the temple and by driving them out into the street, Jesus was messing with the pockets of the Sadducees. And we all know when you start messing with somebody's money, they get angry. Beside that, they probably thought he had some kind of terrible attitude. What kind of bee does he have in his bonnet? What kind of bird does he have in his saddle? Shouting like that, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And you've made it a den of thieves and a den of robbers. The week is still young. This week, this hardest week, this holy week in the life of Jesus, and he's alienated all these folk already. And then the next major confrontation on Tuesday evening, we think, with the Pharisees. Jesus is on the temple steps where the rabbis would often stand to teach those who had gathered around. Not far from the offices of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were... Laity, they were keepers of the law, so to speak. They were were experts in that. And what Jesus said to these folks 
has been described as Jesus scraping his fingernails across the chalkboard of their souls. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Seven times, and that's no mistake, that number, seven times Jesus lit into the Pharisees, confronting them, confrontational words, angry words. And the Pharisees were not in the mood for any constructive or destructive criticism. They didn't take Jesus' words very well. Now, Jesus, in a period of three short days, has cut himself off from all the power brokers in Jerusalem, religiously speaking, politically speaking. He's on the outs with them. They are on the outs with one another. It's a difficult time, and they are all out to get Jesus. So who's left? Maybe a few of his followers, his disciples, and maybe some of his family. Passover is coming. And on Thursday evening of Holy Week, this hardest of weeks in the life of Jesus, he is gathering with the 12 in the upper room. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. At that last supper, as it's called, one of the 12 will desert him for the purpose of betrayal. After the meal, on the Mount of Olives, on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and remember Gethsemane means olive press, where his soul was pressed so hard. Jesus said to him, you'll all become deserters because of me this night, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. And Peter promised not to desert him. But we know the outcome of that promise. And as the events of Thursday evening and Friday continue to unfold that fateful week, Apparently, his family was kept at some distance, arrested in Gethsemane, taken to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, from there to the governor, the procurator, Pontius Pilate, from there, the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows and the way of the cross, the place of the skull, Golgotha, and there they crucified him. And that evening before the sun went down, before the Sabbath had come about, his body lay in a stone-cold tomb sealed by a large stone. And his week came to a close. I know that we've, none of us have ever had any hard weeks comparable to Jesus. But do you think of any hard weeks that still haunt you, that still haunt us? Are we struggling with a hard week right now? What kind of things are happening in your lives? Could there be some hard weeks looming on our horizons? May I suggest we look to the cross and call on the name of the one who knows what a hard week looks like and feels like. Sit up. Pay attention to those around us, to what they might be going through. So back now to an earlier question. Was Jesus' hard week all his fault? Did he bring it on himself? Or did we all have something to do with that? Amen.